Okay, welcome everyone to the really centralized interview with Michiel de Jong, who is from the Unhosted Project. I'm very excited to have him here because it was actually the first like modern era decentralization project that I heard about. So, hello, Michiel. Hello, how are you doing? Good, yeah. Um, okay, so tell us about Unhosted. What does it do? Right, so the idea of uh, Unhosted Web Apps is that they are websites that don't store your user data. So normally when you use a website, um, it runs on a server that has a database where all your data goes. So uh, you post a photo to the website, it goes into the database of the people who run the website. With an unhosted website, um, there's no such database. So there's still a website that runs, it comes from a server, um, but it comes as static content, and then in your browser it comes to live, as, and then your browser connects to your own server, which you should have yourself, um, and does a, it, it stores the data directly to your server from the browser. So your server connects to two servers. Your, web, your browser connects to two servers now, one to get the website you're visiting, and one um, to your own server, which is used as, uh, as say, the database server. So it kind of has the same feeling of uh, safety as, uh, I know, sorry to say safe for this, but I'll say on a Windows machine in the 1990s. When you might yeah, be running someone's app, but yeah, so we used to have um, we we used to have that that control over our data when uh, when we all used um, installed software and and computers came. Um, so it used to be that you have your hard disk where everything happens, and when you want to use software, you have to install it on your hard disk, and you have your own files on your hard disk, and nothing ever leaves there unless you send it somewhere else. And we've left that paradigm to go to a, um, uh, more of a, a web-based or a cloud-based uh, architecture where all our data is on servers owned by other people. And so to go back to a situation where we can control our uh, data, there's, um, and there's two or three things, you, three things you can do. One is to, um, to just store everything only on your device. Um, and um, another thing would be to collaborate with others to have a sort of a peer-to-peer -peer database, like a, a decentralized network where you store your photo, uh, data only with your friends. And um, the third thing you could do is what, um, what we do is actually the simplest thing, is to say, well, okay, data's gonna be on servers because it's just so convenient. Um, you can reinstall your device and the data's still there, etc. And um, then, um, but but have a server per user instead of a server per application provider. So there are actually um, three parties that are offering it now. Um, one is Dropbox. Uh, they offer Dropbox JS, where if you are a Dropbox user, you can. Um, there are a few applications that support Dropbox JS, where the data goes directly to your Dropbox account. Uh, Google Drive also supports it now, cross-origin storage. And um, then we're the third one, so um, we have the remote storage protocol, which is an open uh, protocol, um, and which we publish as a, as a non-profit. So the, so the Dropbox and the Google Drive one, they let people write applications that store things on their host services, but they're proprietary and locked into those services, are they? Whereas the remote storage is an open protocol? Exactly. There's a, they're they're a, a proprietary platform, so 
uh, Dropbox has the right to kick out any uh, application when they're not happy with it, um, and um, they can change the API when they want, and and they are the only provider of Dropbox storage. So, but for an application provider, it's the same deal. They still don't have to run a database because each user logs in with their own uh, database, their own uh, remote storage. But um, obviously. The idea of the open protocol is that we can have an open market where um, that's robust against any uh, commercial party um, defaulting or, or doing something else than what the users want. Okay, so I know you've got some applications working already. Can you just talk through from a user's point of view uh, how one of those applications works? Yeah, so um, we, we've got a few applications that uh, are now being used by a few early adopters. Uh, there's not a lot yet. We don't have a, a, a full platform yet that can replace um, your Facebook or your um, or your iPhone uh, app platform. But uh, the, the first few applications are there. So you uh, go to the application and then instead of logging in, like normally to a website, you might log in with a, an email address and a password. But in this case, you say connect to my remote storage, and then you put in um, what looks like an email address. Uh, but it's actually your storage address, so it's user at provider, and then then what happens is um, uh, an OAuth dialog, so it redirects you to your own storage provider, asks you to log in, and it's asked, do you allow this application to access your contacts and uh, also read access to your photos, for instance? And then if you say allow, you're redirected back to the application. Uh, which is just uh, OAuth is the same as when you connect with Facebook or your, your login with Twitter or something like that. Um, and then everything else is just the same as uh, using a normal website. Oh, so, so the idea is that the website would basically say it's using remote storage and then, yes. you, then you, you literally use an email, but it has to be one that's compatible with remote storage. Yeah. And there's a, there's a list of there's about um, 20 applications that support this now, um, and um, there's uh, software you can run to run your own uh, remote storage server. Uh, there's also um, a commercial provider called Five Apps. Uh, they're a startup, um, uh, also part of the unhosted movement. They're friends of ours, and um, they're offering remote storage now um, to people who want it. Um, who want to have it, and so you, you can get an account with them, and then go to um, the unhosted.org website. There's a list of example apps which you can try out. Okay. Can you just quickly explain why someone wants to use hosted storage with unhosted? I can sort of guess why, but I'm just <laughs> yeah. Well, we came up with the name first, and then we started thinking about how to build it. So the first idea was um, to not host anything and uh, to do everything only. Um, peer-to-peer, -peer, but then um, we found out that actually a, a much more viable and uh, what we thought a better architecture would be to do per-user hosted. Um, but uh, per-user hosted doesn't sound as uh, intriguing either, so <laughs> we didn't change the name. <laughs> it's encrypted, presumably, so you get the separation still of the code and the data. Um, and there's a um, to your data. Well, it's up to the application to do encryption at the application level. Um, when um, when applications want to work together, so they want to use the same address book, for instance, then uh, if you have encrypted contacts in your address book, then other applications might not be able to use them. Um, 
So for now, the applications okay. don't do um, the encryption at the application level, but you can um, at the storage level. You can um, obviously encrypt all you want. You can encrypt the, the hard drive at the, so that if that server um, gets raided by some government, that they cannot get to your data. You can also um, what's it, um, um, what's presumably the the best option in the end is uh, to host the server in your house like a freedom box. Um, and then you know that the government would need a warrant to get to your data um, and that uh, most commercial parties will not uh, be able to get into your house so uh, but but we don't do we don't build the encryption into the, um, the cross origin storage protocol we just define how you can connect an application with a, a per user um, storage server and then you can do encryption under that level and also on top of it. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the applications, like what the most popular and well-made applications are, the ones that maybe people could start using for something straight yeah, away? Yeah. Um, there's LightRight, LightRight.net, uh, which is a, a simple, uh, minimalistic text editor, so you can, uh, you can take notes, uh, you can write blog posts, you can write letters, um, and um, so it's not um, a lot of formatting options like inserting graphs and stuff like that, but just for editing text and uh, not being distracted, it's a really cool editor. And it also works uh, very well on smartphones um, where you can scroll in the list of uh, uh, documents and then click one which you want to edit. Um, there's another one called ShareSum, which allows you to share photos and other files with people and it just gives you a, a URL which you can then share. So you upload something which goes to your storage and then you get the URL for it. Uh, there's SVG edits which allows you to create diagrams a bit like um, uh, I think it's called Google Draw in um, Google Docs where you can create diagrams and um, it creates them as SVG and it runs entirely in the browser and then saves the SVG file to your remote storage. Um, so do, you find, yes. do you find many people are using these apps extensively, or what kind of people is it who are who are taking them up? No, it's so far it's only uh, basically ourselves using it. Uh, we've worked on the um, uh, on trying out how to build the platform and how to make it possible for app developers to develop apps, and um, so far we have been working on that and. Um, when app developers have come, we've worked with them to to improve the experience, but there haven't been a lot of, um, uh, apart from these 20 apps, there haven't been like any big, um, uh, like any big companies that have said, okay, we're gonna build our next applications using um, your protocol. It's mainly been like enthusiasts writing these applications. So at the point, yeah. um, we have a product more towards app developers and not yet towards end users. Uh, but we th we think that within um, a year or two that will uh, the apps will be there and then end users can also just say okay I'm going to use that for part of the things I do with my computer. So yeah, can you tell us a bit about that? I'm quite intrigued that you just said uh, you were looking for a big company to maybe take it on and, and use it. So can you tell us the different ways you think you can get a large number of people to start using using the apps? Yeah, um, there's um, 
Well, the, the main way is of, obviously to make it attractive for application developers. So one thing we're doing with the client-side library, which we will be doing, is to um, to include the other two um, platforms, Dropbox.js and Google Drive JavaScript API, in the library uh, with one common interface so that if you develop an application and you just want people to be able to use your application um, and you want to give them the freedom to use your email service account, but you don't want to lose users over that, um, which is obviously a concern for an application developer saying, oh, well, I'll have a very small market if I do that. So, um, then you just oh, so if I already, so as a user, if I already like use and trust Dropbox, I'd just be able to use the app with Dropbox. Yeah. But then switch later, carry on the same application, and yeah. use um, and use remote storage. Yeah. Then at any point you can switch to uh, to hosting your own server, um, or staying with Dropbox if you're still happy with them, or or switching to some other remote storage provider. Um, so the other thing uh, we're thinking there's um, there's always um, a, a, there's like the free software um, uh, movement which wants to keep everything everybody free uh, free technology and there's also obviously uh, different providers having all kinds of wars over platforms um, it used to be mainframes fighting each other for market share and then the free software movement started with freedom from mainframe uh, software. Then it was uh, like the, the PCs hardware. Then in the 90s, it became operating systems. Um, and all of, uh, all of those are, we have freedom there now. We can have, um, we cannot have entirely free firmware yet, but we can have Linux as our operating system. Um, we've had the browser wars, which were almost lost. It was about to be all Explorer. Mm -hmm. And uh, magically, that was still won by free software, uh, which we should really be very happy mm. for. Um, so mm. we got several browsers now. But now the new war that's going on in software is um, the, the, the storage war, the personal storage. So there's obviously Dropbox, which we all know, Once we, which we may not think so much about. We, also, we always think like Apple's about the iPhone and the Mac. But if you think about it, all your contacts are synced via iCloud. Um, Application data is also synced by iCloud, and if you take a photo, it also goes to your iCloud. So iCloud is actually also a personal storage platform, just like Dropbox. Then there's Google Drive, SkyDrive from Microsoft. If you buy a new um, computer with uh, Windows, it asks you to log in with your uh, Microsoft account and offers to store your files on SkyDrive. And even Ubuntu, who are a Linux distribution, are doing Ubuntu One as their <laughs> uh, as, as their storage platform. And um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, it used to be based on CouchDB, but uh, I mean, it's it's a proprietary platform which they um, want people to store their data. So we have all these storage platforms, and this is like the new software freedom war, right? So this we've had browsers, mm -hmm. we've had operating systems. Now we have personal cloud storage, and we are at this point the um, the main that we know of um, a open proposal in that area. So. We think um, another word that's going on is obviously smartphones. So you have uh, iPhone and Android, uh, Firefox OS, and there I think mobile operators are very interested in uh, not giving away power to the handsets providers and the handset operating system providers. So you see like Samsung doing Tizen or Tizen or what they call it, and um, you see a lot of interest in um, cheap markets and, um, and countries who don't want to be um, dependent on the US, like um, 
Brazil has always also pushed LibreOffice a lot, and um, they're also now one of the countries adopting Firefox OS. So those parties who don't want to be either um, dependent on another commercial power, um, like uh, Nokia doesn't want to be, well, Nokia's with, um, with, with Microsoft now, but um, for instance, Samsung doesn't <laughs> want to be dependent on Android, right? Mm. So for them, uh, it's interesting to have um, something else. And uh, this open platform where uh, they're not going to lock in users, but they're going to stop users from being locked into some other power, which is their competitor. That they, they were looking to disrupt the market, I think, um, instead of uh, monetizing it. So any part, so I think a party that would like to open up the personal cloud um, uh, market uh, would be like a mobile provider or, or a handset manufacturer. Uh, it can also be like Vodafone, who say, okay, we're going to give all our users. Um, you've seen in uh, in Germany a big um, internet provider is now offering uh, own clouds to their users. So every user gets mm. an own cloud account. And obviously, mm. it's to um, you know you, they they're all looking to um, to make sure that what they offer is valuable. And if people don't care about where they get the connection anymore, they just care about their cloud provider. Um, then that takes the attention away from what they're producing. So uh, I think it, um, any um, any party that that does something else than personal cloud might want to just um, <laughs> yeah just just create some uh, disruption in that market. And then we're uh, we've got our um, uh, we've got it as an in, our protocol as an internet draft now at IETF. So these and most of these uh, big companies are are looking there, and, and if that's the place they would look for it. So at some point, if they want to, they can pick it up and um, start using it. Sorry, that's remote storage. You've got as a yes. as a, a what's the situation with that? How what stage is that at? And what's that um, process like? Just briefly. Yeah, so we're doing a, a version every six months. Uh, we're now uh, finalizing the seventh one, which is the third one. Which we're doing as an internet draft, so it's the um, uh, o, remote storage O2 extension, um, the file name, and um, yeah, we're discussing about how to change the text. We're we're version editing on um, on GitHub, and every six months we publish it, and then storage providers um, can implement it, and we do the the client library. We do one um, the remote storage.js client library. Uh, which is currently the only client. So um, whenever we change the spec, it's easy to uh, change that. But in theory, other people could also write their own clients. Um, and then and this uh, text. Hmm? Oh, are you finding much backing for like getting it made into a standard? And what would be like effect? Yeah, I'm getting um, very um, positive reactions always. Um, also from like um, uh, people who are. Um, who know what they're talking about? They say like, well, um, like you, for instance, <laughs> being yeah. very positive from the start, yeah, yeah. and that's, um, I mean, that's that's the confirmation you're getting. It's otherwise, it's normally when you work in a job, you get your salary, and and then you know you've done a good job, and if you get a raise, you, mm. you know you've done a very good job. But um, if you're working on profit, then you have to go by um, sort of reactions you get, and. Um, mm. Yeah, that's think, been. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of the problems with the kind of whole system at the moment is people don't really get rewarded for protocols in the same way as they get rewarded for making, you know, uh, Snapchat or something. So it's. 
it's, it's yeah, the, it's good to have people like you putting the energy into them. Yeah, yeah well, there should be more people who. Um, uh, I think the main thing is it's not that people. Uh, obviously, if you work non-profit, you're going to earn less money than if you work in a company, right? But I, and I don't think that it's for most people it's so important to have a lot of money, but it's just that uh, it's also a confirmation that you're doing the right thing. So you have to be really yeah. um, convinced about yourself, <laughs> I guess, that um, <laughs> that what you're doing is, is worth something uh, to be able to do that. And you see most a lot of projects um, that just go away after a year, which is a pity. Um, there's also, there's also you sometimes get the feeling like everybody is reinventing the wheel, um, like everybody starts a project and it's the same again. I don't think that's so much the case. We just see it that way. I think it's actually probably more in um, commercial um, uh, technology where everybody creates another startup that does local social <laughs> things, buying stuff with your friends and stuff, and there's thousands of them that all try to reinvent the same thing, whereas in, um, in free technology uh, we're, um, we're, mu we're way less people, but um, I think we're, um, uh, yeah, I think with few people we're having a big impact on what the, what the future of technology could be. Um, Fantastic. Um, just just before we end, I want to quickly ask you what uh, people can do at the moment. Like, what what do you most need help at or supporting uh, to make the project? Work? Right. Um, we need more um, developers to quit their job and join the revolution. Um, <laughs> that's the main thing. That's the main thing. And uh, we can. It's easy to get once somebody says, "Okay, I'm going to do this. This is important. And this is what I'm going to work on." Then it's very easy to get funding. Uh, it's not so easy to get a market rate salary, so um, we're not going to be able to get the same money that you would uh, have at a at a company. But maybe you have got some savings, or uh, you don't have to drive a car, or especially if you don't have to commute to an office anymore, you don't have to drive a car. So we need these people to join and um, start your own project, or join uh, some project, join our project. Uh, more people should do that um, because it's really important that the world has free technology. Um, and otherwise, um, if you're, um, uh, yeah, everybody can of course be aware of this and talk about it. There's, um, there's, um, it's an important issue that we sh should not forget about. And just so, if you see somebody using. Um, Firefox, uh, you can just say, hey, did you know that's uh, free software and do you, do you know what that means and why it's important? Um, just make sure that, that that people stay aware of that. Uh, but what we mainly mm -hmm. mean is, is more developers quitting mm -hmm. their jobs and, and working for <laughs> free technology. I, I noticed that the, on Twitter you're saying remote storage is hiring at the moment. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, we just got some more funding from Enelnet. Uh, we're currently being sponsored by Enelnet, which is a Dutch foundation, and Wau Holland Stiftung, which is a German foundation. And um, Enelnet mm. just gave some more money, so we've said um, 10 euros per hour, which is what we used to say 1,000 euros per month, um, which is sort of what we live on. And uh, now we say 10 euros yeah. per hour, so it's more flexible, so somebody can say, okay, I'm coming for a few weeks doing some uh, work, publishing that, and then you say, okay, I worked um, 26 hours, and then uh, you just get 260 euros. Um, 
So that's the system we're using now. So if any developer wants to try it out, um, you can just uh, we we got this funding and um, we can uh, we could pay more, but then the money would would uh, uh, end sooner. And I don't think. Um, um, I have to ask, what kind of foundations are those? Are they really new, or are they like really old ones whose mission happens to fit with what you're doing? They're, um, they're I, I think Enelnet is about 20 years old, but I'm really guessing here now. And Bahol and Stiftung is probably about 10 years old, I think. Uh, but they've only recently started um, sponsoring, uh, well, they, they sponsored WikiLeaks, and um, they're now sponsoring us. And so, um, yeah, they are, and LNET came from where the Dutch internet was sold to a commercial provider, and that was set into a, a, a fund to sponsor f a free internet projects. And Wal Holland Stifting was from the uh, legacy of uh, Wal Holland, um, who was one of the um, uh, fathers of uh, the Chaos Computer Club. And... Um, uh. So these foundations exist, yeah. um, and, and if you're, and there's also there's also crowdfunding. Um, if you're really serious about um, building free technology, then um, it's very easy to get started just with your own savings. And then once you've got something going, you set up um, a crowdfunding campaign, and then um, if yeah, people will uh, retweet it. And um, if you're serious serious about it. Um, and you're, you, you don't need a market rate salary, then and you, and you have to say no to the job offers, of course. Um, <laughs> the, okay. Uh, yeah. This, this Fantastic. Works. Thank you. It's been really great talking to you, Mikhail. Yeah, and, same here. Um, good, good luck with your project. And Thank I hope, you. Yeah. <laughs> I hope some more people join you. Yes. Thank you.